Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the Church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. Good to be here. We are looking at the gospel reading for the uh, for Sexagesima Sunday. It comes from the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 8, verses 4 to 15. I'll read that in the ESV. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his f- seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who... When they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. All right, so... um, Lang says, just like contextually in this pre-Lenten season, he says something that I, uh, interesting that I kind of want your feedback on. He said, last Sunday is about you know coming into the kingdom of God by grace, um, but that it still requires labor inside of it. And sexagesima is about what that labor consists of. Um, what, what are your thoughts? What uh, what the labor consists of hearing? What does he say? Uh, yeah, of hearing and of um, a bearing fruit with patient endurance. With patience, okay. Ah, oh, that's pretty good. I I sometimes have thought about the you know the first Sunday seems like it's sola gratia, and then this is sola scriptura. <laughs> I couldn't remember what the and then. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, all these schemas are are maybe a little bit uh, forced uh, because you could have the quinquagesima then with the passion prophecy can be sola fide. Correct. But you can also just see all three Sundays as really, and I think a lot of people have done that with the solas, you know, just all three of the Sundays really being about grace in some ways too, which seems like what mm. Lang's doing. I think it seems to me that, I can't remember now where I read this, but there was a some somebody I was reading made the argument years ago that the all three Sundays are about grace and the means of grace. But mm. yeah, 
labor in the kingdom. So the first one was, oh, that uh, the kingdom that called into the, the kingdom, kingdom by, grace. by grace, right? But, that but there's work to call. be done, but we're not told. Yeah, but we're not told what the work is. That's what, and, and then, then this, this Sunday we sort of see. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the I think he's I think patience. That word hupomone, I think, is the kind of key word actually in this text. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a this is some this is some difficult Greek, especially in the in the parable itself. Uh, yes. These are unusual words. I was having a hard time keeping up with you until um, you got past, because you know I'm trying to remember what these words mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but I I like uh, so there. The hupomone is an important word, and I think also uh, now I can't find it. The, oh, there it is. Telus fusaru furo, right? So usen because it's uh, conjugated, but right. That's uh, you, you said what a bearing to maturity, or or yeah. what you say there in verse fourteen. Yeah, I mean that's a great word. That's a that's a fine translation, but you know that's got that idea of completion or end tele. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, bring um, fruit I think that's to also, perfection, or right. something like that. Yeah. Right, right. So, to, so to that that and the and the hupomone, I think, are the key thing. Um, I suppose, yeah. So, I suppose that's the work we do in the kingdom. It seems more like the results of what we do in the kingdom, though. Maybe I'm just still, you know, I just get, I just get uh, uncomfortable talking about works. Yeah, you know. In, well, but, I mean. But it's it's you know it's paying attention to the word and what then gets in the way mm-hmm. of it. And yeah, so I, I don't like calling that does, work. Yeah, that that I mean, but it is work. But it's not like it is. Good works to in to uh, uh, to they're not propitiatory. Right. No, I I know. I, I you're right. Yeah. I agree. I'm. But you know, it just. I mean, I just have, I have this allergic reaction to that. You know. We need to stop that. I, I agree. <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to be that. at a conference, right? You're going to be at a conference. <laughs> That's right. That's uh, right. In April, on this, on on this very topic, right? The faith of our fathers, um, the law of God is good and wise. Um, right. Uh, that's what in April fifteenth to sixteenth. Sounds right. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. In uh, no April twelfth to thirteenth at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville. So there you go. Well. What are you going to be presenting on there, as an just an aside? Uh, yeah, it's the the title is something like "How My Preaching Has Changed." So okay. I'm going to talk about my own kind of how I've come to think of the ministry overall has changed, and uh, and largely it's this it, it's exactly uh, about getting over this allergy to the law and sort mm-hmm. of recognizing and confessing the goodness of the law. So yeah. I, mm-hmm. But I mean, it's still in there. It's still in me. It's I'm just. Yeah. It's still hard for me to like end a sermon on the law. It's really difficult for me, mm. <laughs> and it's just it seems sounds so silly, right? Uh, but you know, it's just so ingrained in us that I really want the last word of the sermon to be a word of comfort. Mm-hmm. To I undo mean, I everything that's ter- you just said. <laughs> <laughs> It's just really, really, I mean, I, it's really hard for me to, to sort of end with this kind of negative thing. It was, it's, it, I, I know it. It's, I, negative. I, I, it's silly. It's, it's completely silly, but it's, it's hard to overcome. 
So, yeah. and, and I mostly, but I don't overcome it because do I don't more. think it's a disaster. What's that? That means you should do it a little bit more. Maybe I should. I don't think I have like, to. I think I can, maybe I should. Well, I mean, so the thing that you don't like to do, you should do right. to build up the muscles, uh, capacity, that, yeah. the muscles to do it. It's that's fair. I I don't disagree. I'm not sure. I'm. I still. I still don't know that I'm going to do it. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> I I can I can end with a lost section. Um, yeah. But it's just to mm. just to, to 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 feel like the last thing is you know, go out and try harder. You know, not that. But all right. Anyway. Yeah. Well. Okay. So. Um, for lying. The. Uh, so this is pre Lent. I mean, this could be building up to uh, really a discussion of the spiritual battles that we are going to be called to take up during Lent itself, right? And mm-hmm. um, and and how we really should focus on it. That well, that demons are real. That um, and and it requires uh, not only faith in God's grace and mercy, but also persistence in his word to stand firm against it. Um, and how, like, so would this be a time to introduce people to begin thinking about what their Lenten discipline is going to be? I, I mean, to be sure you could do that. Um, and I, I think the epistle leads itself to that because you've got St. Paul talking about all the hardships that he endured. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the parable, I, I actually had I never thought about this before in this way, but I think that the parable, the emphasis is on the third category with the thorns. So it's not, I mean, yeah, some, some get snatched right away by demons. They never really have faith. Uh, and then there are those that have no moisture and they're just sort of, you know, fair weather believers, but that's not really who he's talking to. I mean, that's the crowd. So it's the context Right, the crowds have come. This is fairly early in Jesus' ministry. He's still popular, and there is a certain sense in which he's chastising the crowds with this parable because he's like, "You guys are just like, you're not really in it. You're not real believers. You know, this is interesting to satisfy your curiosity for the more for the moment, but you know, your reeds blown about by the wind. You're going to go on to the next thing." So they're being chastised or being exposed for the sake of the disciples, that the disciples wouldn't be scandalized when these crowds don't stay faithful to the end. But but he's really looking over their shoulders or looking at the disciples, I think, and saying, well, where you, where you guys are in danger is the third category, those planted amongst thorns, um, right, that are, that are choked out slowly and that are sickly plants. And what is it that chokes them or causes this illness is worry, riches, and pleasures of the flesh, which, I mean, this is right where we live on this side of glory, right? Where the church lives. I suppose, but, you know, the ones on the rock, I mean, that's Peter. In time of testing, he falls away. This is like all of the disciples almost. When they yeah, come fa- for those guys, our Lord, yeah, but they fall away right away. I mean, the, the, in the in the parable, I think I, I think even Peter, you know, when he fails, he's this he's this sickly plant, and you don't know the other thing with it. So you know right away, right? The seed that gets snatched, 
right? We, we know they never acted like believers. The, the ones that rise up with joy, it's not true joy, it's fake. And they don't even, they, they never even, there's no fruit on them, no flowers, right? They don't, they don't produce anything. It's, it's these people that are, that are struggling and there's the possibility for them to, there's the possibility for them to bear fruit, right? These plants actually, they have flowers, they have fruit. Will the fruit come to maturity? Will they survive this? If they're weeded, if they're fertilized, if they're watered. And I mean, Peter does, he, he is, he does have a good and noble heart and he does, he does have faith and he does bear fruit at the end, but along the way, you can't tell. It looks like he's, and the other thing with the thorns, I think, is that's really, that's such an image, um, right? That the, the thorns are the world. We're planted in the world. We're being pulled aside. Sure, the devil too, and our own, our own flesh. But I think so much this is actually the world's standards, the world's ideas of success, the world's false promises of pleasure. These are the things that are really threatening to the baptized, to the to the not those who just came up with joy as a moment of curiosity, right? But, but those who are, you know, have lived their lives in the church. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I th- anyway, I mean, you know, I, I, whatever. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to say that the demons aren't a threat to us or a danger to us or that lack of moisture is a danger to us because obviously these would be problems. But, but I think that the real emphasis, I think that's the crowd's, I don't think Peter's Peter's in the time of testing fails. I think in I think he's in this thorn infested face place, and it's hard to tell in the moment if he's going to make it or not. But ultimately, he absolutely does make it, right? So he is right. He's in the fourth category. Mm-hmm. So it's the third and fourth that that where I think where we should be paying attention anyway. And I think we should see that the main threat. I don't think the main threat. Maybe this will. I mean, this is. I don't think the main threat's demons. I, I don't think, think the main threat to, to I think you they get and to progressively me. Um, more difficult to deal with. Let me put it that way. It requires well, I, more effort. It's, it's not yeah, I a mean, whole I lot think of effort to shoo away the birds. Yeah, it's not it's exactly as right. much effort to transplant from rocky soil. Um, right. Uh, but cutting away thorns is hard. Well, and I think the, de- the exactly, and the demonic activity is is more subtle. The demo- the demons don't attack directly so much, uh, and they're not allowed to, presumably, in the church. So you know they're working through worry, they're working through riches and pleasures of the flesh, and you know jealousies among men and egos and pride, and right. That's the thorns that they, in fact, are planting and using. And I think for the most part, well, I mean, we certainly see this in the scriptures, right? The demons have human agents. Mm. So demonic activity could certainly take place. I mean, we have obviously in the gospels, demonic possessions um, where the demons are, but, but uh, you know, Herod is, a de- is run by demons. Pharaoh is run by demons or is listening to demons. And these are the the, the sort of uh, more subtle and difficult threat. And that's the thorns because they're these influences upon us and they threaten to choke us out, but they don't, they do it slowly. And we can have, we can have the idea that we can, we can live this way. It'll be fine. Okay. And then it's too late. Yeah. 
Maybe I'm being too autobiographical. I mean, I feel like worry, riches, and pleasures of the flesh is uh, like this was written about me quite specifically. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I'm really a bad worrier. So maybe the, the the point is is that the word when sown does its work of revealing what the issue is. Yeah. So it's revelatory in that regard. And so as the word is sown the way the sower sows it, it demonstrates um, the soil they're in so yeah. that it can be dealt with. It, it shows what's going exactly. on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So go back to the, this is such, this is an interesting kind of vocab thing because you have this in Greek, you have these three words in a row that are all, uh, you know, related words the the sower sowing the sowed stuff, you know, or the, however, or we have to use different words. So the sower, that's a, you know, a, a participle. And then you have sowing the verb, and then you have the seed, which is the noun. Um, but, but he's a farmer, right? That they don't have specialized, you know, it's not like there, there's, there's experts that all they do is sow. So he does everything. He he chooses the seed. He tills or prepares the soil. He sows it or you know plants it. He weeds. He fertilizes. He waters and he harvests. But but I mean, there's such a there's such an emphasis in this parable that he's called the sower, and there's no discussion of these other activities, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, he doesn't even choose the. I mean, he he sows. Why is he throwing seed down on trodden paths, right, and in rocky right. soil? So there is this uh, uh, this kind of emphasis upon sowing, and then of course becomes very clear that this is the word. This is a nice tie. I, I love the Isaiah fifty five uh, Old Testament with this because, right, my word does not return void. This is a mm-hmm. parable about the power and the promise of the word. Yeah. I don't think that there that we should think that there's that these other farming activities, right? Choosing the seed, preparing the soil, weeding, fertilizing, water, watering, and and ultimately harvesting, are not being done. Uh, but what we should recognize the emphasis is on on sowing because all of these other activities are also done by the word. So I I, I think you're right. It's not as though if you're on if you're in this thorny patch that there's no getting out of it, right? That you're on your own, right? Too bad you were planted in, in, in thorny soil and nobody's going to weed it. So you're going to get choked out too bad. You were thrown onto, uh, you know, the trodden path and nobody's going to try to help you. The birds are going to come and snatch you away. Right. right? So, well, you've, so there is St. Paul in Corinthians, right? I, I planted Apollos watered. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the, why I think, as I said, I think the real, the real weight of this comes on that fruit to maturity and, you know, this hoopamone, which I can't remember. Did you have patience? Was that your translation? Yeah. That would be mine too by default. Uh, however, that's not, I, I think in this context, I don't think we should say patience, though I, patience isn't wrong. I think we should say steadfastness because- yeah. I mean, that's what meno, you know, is the second part of that word, which means to remain, remain. right? Mm-hmm. And hupo means over. So this is about, this is about remaining, staying, right? Uh, super abundant staying uh, or remaining. And that, yeah. that, that is patience in some sense. But in this context, I think it really has more to do with 
you know, not quitting. Whereas I think patience mm-hmm. is too passive in a sense. And I think in English, right? When I think yeah. about being patient, it means putting up with stuff. This isn't just putting up with stuff. This is like, this is a more active clinging to, to things and not giving But you up. get that earlier, right? Hold it fast and yeah, then yeah, bear exactly. fruit with hippomone, um, right. the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. That's why I always like endurance better, to endure. Endurance. Yeah, yeah. Endurance is good. Yeah, that's the right or kind fortitude. of thing. Perseverance. Fortitude, right. The, yeah, perseverance. And I, it's, yeah, p- patience is appropriate. I, I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. overstate it. I just think that in English, I'm not sure that patience has the right nuance in modern English. Yeah. Uh, at the same well, time, we I mean, see patience right. as, I think we hear patience as a resignation um, to circumstances, not a bearing up within them. Yeah. And or, or we just see it a as a waiting. passive exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, that's right. not what is going on. It's not passive. Right. Alton Brown used to always say, your patience will be rewarded. I loved that. And he was always, that was like, you know, don't turn the potatoes, leave them alone, right? Trust me, just wait. And if you wait long enough, they'll turn golden brown, crispy and delicious. Your patience will be rewarded. But right, that was a a very passive act of not Mm -hmm. doing anything. And yeah, I think this is, so anyway, that, that's the that's the really what we're really being called to, and yeah. the other great thing with this is this. I love I just love this so much. Um, this thing about uh, they, when they ask him what does it mean, which is the catechism question. He he says right. Well, to you it's been given to know the kingdom of God, but to others or to the rest in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear, which means, by the way, they're just like the idols that they worship. But uh, there is this this reality that the parable requires the Holy Spirit. I mean, the word of God requires the Holy Spirit, parables in particular, to, to reveal to us. And and then there is this, this need to be seeking, right? They're asking the question is, is because they want to hear Jesus explain it. I don't think it's that they couldn't understand it by the Spirit. He doesn't explain to them, at least it's not recorded, any of the other parables. Uh, but the, uh, the the point is here is that they're seeking the kingdom of God, right? They're seeking, mm-hmm. and they're seeking the kingdom of God by listening to Jesus, by searching mm-hmm. his word, by contemplation. And, and he rewards that by, you know, giving them more, which again, that's not what the crowd's doing. Right, so the, the crowd's impressed by him, and you know they're interested in him because he's kind of a celebrity and he's weird. Who knows what, whatever? And he's you know does miracles, let's magic tricks. So, but they're not really listening. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking for for uh, some amusement, and they're these disciples are actually seeking, and because of that, they're rewarded, and they're rewarded with more, and then that leads them deeper and deeper and deeper. So that, I mean, in terms of that being the kind of Lang thing of doing the work inside the kingdom, I think that's right. It's that, mm-hmm. it's that discerning of the word, working the word. Do you think that our Lord has specific examples from the Old Testament of the different types of soil? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Do you have some ideas off the top of your head? No, I just was thinking like, you know, how St. Paul in 1 Corinthians, is it 1 Corinthians? 
where you know he says these were written down and he's got like a series of things yeah. of what they did if if our lord has a similar thing going on here are those you know that um yeah were on the path and 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 the, the devil came and snatched it away uh and you know, what would those be it i don't just okay in my I, head. they probably are but i i don't think we I don't think we need them from the Bible because, I mean, we could probably, because this is just simply what we ourselves have experienced in the church. Mm-hmm. So again, this is being this is being said in the presence of the crowd, but it's being said to the disciples. And a big part of this is for, don't be scandalized by the fact that the crowds go away. You know, don't be scandalized by the seeming lack of success in the church, that evangelism doesn't work that well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if one fourth of the if one fourth of the people that hear the word of God believe it, that would be pretty impressive, and mm-hmm. uh, it's probably far lesser than that. It's it's one fourth of the examples he gives, but I don't think it's an mm-hmm. equal fourth, and yeah. th- that we should we should not be scandalized because the world rejects our message, or that some people you know embrace it for a, a minute and then and then fall away immediately. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you could even. I mean, it, 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 you'd want to be a little careful, but I was thinking about talking about the sort of, you know, the cl- loss of teenagers once they're confirmed <laughs> and saying, well, you know, look, this is the parable being fulfilled. And, and wh- why are we scandal? I mean, we're, yeah, we're disappointed in this, but we shouldn't be surprised by it. You know, we, we, we have people join the church and it, they don't stick, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, some do, but they don't all stick. Well, there, there is a kind of, you know, sometimes there's a kind of criticism from within the church, you know, of the church or of the ministers or of the council or elders or whoever, right? Because like, well, yeah, what are we doing about this? How come, you know, how come we confirm these people and they didn't, they didn't stay? Well, because they're sinners, right? And they're caught up in the wrong things and they weren't really committed, committed. they didn't have moisture or yeah. they got choked out. And not that not that we're not shouldn't try to minister to those or try to prevent that or try to address it, but at the same time, let's mm-hmm. not be casting blame on the people that are sowing the seed for, you know, the demons come and snatching some away. Or yeah, but uh, they're really blaming the f- God. They're because yeah. look, um, I mean, we'll, we'll usually for this parable along with the Isaiah fifty-five, we'll make a big deal about how God's word doesn't return void. And they feel that it has. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. like, is this an opportunity to go against double predestination? Uh, because that's the other side of it. Do we have to go it against um, uh, Arminianism, which is the flip side of double predestination? Uh, or, you know, I've typically tried to say, look, the, it not returning void is that it, it, it's revealing what's there. So it's not void, uh, but the word is showing what kind of soil is there. Yeah, it's turned and, to its alien work. It still did mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Right? I mean, this does, you know, if it's rejected, then it becomes a condemning word. And mm-hmm. if it is accepted, it's because it's a creative word. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, right? It's not, it's not, it's neither double predestination Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like on the, on the condemnation side, we're Arminians, right? Yeah. That is, 
that we believe it's your fault. You rejected it. Therefore, the word condemns you and it's your fault. Uh, it turned to its alien work. But if the, if you believe it, then it's, then we're, then we're Calvinists because God did it mm-hmm. by his monergistic promise. Right. And it's a creative yeah. word that, that, you know, stirred this up and planted faith in you. Yeah. And I mean, I think we can absolutely see that and preach that from Isaiah 55 and should. Yeah. Well, I, I guess what I'm saying is it seems as though in the past, Lutheran's preaching on this parable has tried to make this the monergistic uh, text instead of where it looks like it's pointing is hearing the word, holding fast to it, and bearing fruit yeah. with endurance. And that that's yeah. the thrust of this, not the monergistic work going on, that there is a response required. Yeah. Well, yes, there is. And uh, there is a nurturing and a, a, of faith. There is a cooperation with the Holy Spirit in the believer who's already been converted, right? Who rejoices in this and right strengthens those muscles, those faith muscles, by doing the things that he has been given and by, you know, exercising his free will to do those things and choosing which things to do, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, again, that kind of endurance. And, and mm-hmm. uh, of course, what he's doing, the enduring is trusting in the midst of trials and temptations, right? And he, he mm-hmm. learns to do that by the word because what he, what he endures is he sits, you know, you don't look, he doesn't look any different than the other sickly plants surrounded by thorns. Mm-hmm. But he believes that, that it, it is the seed of God that is living in him and that is growing in him and that is doing things that can't be seen by men, and the fruit will be revealed at the very end. That, you know, we're looking at the sickly plant, and we're not sure if it's going to make it, but we don't really know what we're looking at. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, this is what Lenski points out. He says, what the parable and its exposition describe is the final fate of the word in the hearts of men. When life is done, some show a harvest, all the rest show no harvest. Some never let the word in, some never let it root, some never let it grow up. This final fate of the word is shown us now so that we may examine ourselves as to how we are treating the word now before life is done. And this is done because though no man can change himself, God has means to change us all, trodden path, rocky places, briar patches into good soil for his word. This means of God is the word itself, as is it is exhibited in this parable. Like all the scripture revelations of man's sinful states, this one too aims at the conscience and at repentance, which thus open the soul for the gospel. The more it is opened, the more fruit will, will there be in the end. So it's focusing on the end, not just yeah, now. Yeah. But I mean, there is, there is the, like he says, that, that we might examine ourselves now, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's this, you know, good works, good works don't save, but right. Faith always there. Good works always accompany faith and mm-hmm. no one is saved without good works. Right. Even though it's not the good works. Right. In other words, it's not as though there's somebody out there who has faith, who isn't doing good works. Uh, right. it, it's possible. It's possible to do uh, you know, I suppose, you know, what seem to be good works in the eyes of the world without faith, 
or it's possible to do right as a hypocrite does and to pretend to have faith, but it's mm-hmm. not possible to be a Christian and not do good works in a kind of similar way that, you know, it's not as though, you know, being a member of a congregation makes you, uh, you know, saves you, but there's nobody who's saved who isn't a member of a congregation. Right. right? The, the, the invisible church is a subset of the visible church. Mm-hmm. And there is nobody that's in the invisible church that isn't visible. Mm-hmm. I mean, so sometimes I think when we talk about these things, when we talk about, you know, the sort of secretness of faith or the invisibility of faith, because we don't know, it almost sounds as though, well, there could be Christians anywhere. Maybe the drug dealer down the street that's, you know, dealing child pornography is actually a Christian secretly in his heart. No, he isn't. <laughs> he absolutely, we know he isn't. Right? There's no way he is. I mean, what? So we know who you isn't can't a Christian. Read his heart, Dave, you can't read his heart. The thief on the <laughs> I cross. I can read his heart. That's right. <laughs> so what? I mean, right. That's the point: is that we know who isn't. But you know, it's possible that the people in the pews, right? And again, that's why I'm saying this is the thorns. You know, it's that in in the in the pews there could be people who aren't Christian, but there's mm-hmm. no Christians who aren't in the pews. And, and that's, that's what I think Lenski's talking about, and I agree with that, right? We need to examine ourselves. We need to be in the right place. And some, mm-hmm. of that, some of that endurance is being in the right place when you don't want to be, and also being in the right place when you don't believe it, which, is, uh, which I know sounds, sounds weird, but I, I don't mean you don't actually believe it, but you're, you're feeling the sort of angst of your doubt and uncertainty, and there's a temptation in that to go, well, I'm insincere, or I won't go to church. And I mean, you need to go to church anyway, because you know objectively it's right and what you're supposed to do and what you need. And then you, you control your body. The, the new man controls your body and makes you go to church to hear the word of God, even while the old man is uttering blasphemies and vulgarities inside your head. But you don't say those things out loud. You don't let the old man rule you. And you just say, look, I, you just, I mean, you, it's like, it sounds ridiculous, but you're like, listen, you know, self, uh, I don't care what you say. I know what's real. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it even if I don't believe it. I'm going to say the words of the Apostles' Creed, even while you're screaming in the back of my mind that this is all a big joke or whatever. And I'm not going to allow you to control my body or my tongue. And that is the, I mean, that's essential to how, how the faith is lived, I, I believe, and the way that we fight against the old man, that he doesn't get to decide what we do. He doesn't tell us what we believe, right? Mm-hmm. The Bible tells us what we believe, and we're just going to cling to that because that's trustworthy. We know our inner thoughts aren't trustworthy, they're contradictory, yeah. right? And we know how fickle we are and how often we failed to meet our own standards or to do what we said we would or wanted to do and, and the like, right? We can't, we can't trust our inner thoughts. There's hardly anything less trustworthy in the world, right? What we can trust is the Bible. We go by the Bible. We do what the Bible says. We believe what the Bible says. And even if there's you know, a part of us that's mocking it internally, we don't give voice to that. Mm-hmm. And we certainly don't allow that to control us. Yeah. So you said something interesting. You said being in the right place. And it seemed as though you were saying being in church, right? Um, Yeah. But is there more to it? 
like being in the sure. home in that place right. or taking up your cross within society and holding fast to the word and uh, and producing fruit with endurance in those places. Because it seems as well, though I would say- we kind of stop at just the, well, you got to be in church, but it's really kind of like holding fast. And I agree. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, you should be in church. But it's like we stop there and it's just a spiritual exercise that has no meaning for the rest of the life. And instead, there should be some teaching on what what other places God has put you, and holding fast to that word in those places as well. What and and, and what does that look like? A lot of it is not being in the wrong places too. Okay. Right. Not being. I mean, and this is really hard. Not so. Not sitting down in front of the television set and watching the Game of Thrones. Right. Not watching mm-hmm. this soft pornography on the television. Mm-hmm. Not in not listening to this wicked th- these wicked things, not you know whatever that might be, um, you know not it separating yourself from thorns, uh, right? Not not being at the bar or not being so. I I think that. Uh, but it's easier it, to point where you should be than to yeah, simply well, say where you should not be. Oh, I well I think we got to do both, and I and I I do. I mean it's. The central thing is church, right? I mean, that is the that is the central place from which we're going to find the strength and the comfort to to do battle. I, I mean, I love this image that Kleinig uses in his Leviticus commentary, where I think that's where it is, where right the divine service is like the uh, central hub, you know, where we where we come together and we get our training and we get the fuel that we need and the information that we need, and then. It's like we're deployed out to our homes, right? And our homes are extensions and little outposts of the church. You know, our family devotions, the teaching of children, the consummation of marriage. You know, these are the things that by which the demons are defeated and, and where the battle, in some sense, the battle's not taking place so much at church, but that's where we're prepared for the battle that takes place at the home. But then the home also serves as it sends out outposts also, right? To work, yeah. to school. I, no, I like that. And, but I guess when I hear central, and I think I understand what you mean, you mean the, the thing w- around which everything revolves um, and, and receives its strength and purpose. Um, I, I think, but most people here in our day, central means uh, not that primarily, but... Um, like this is the thing to do, and and that's all that matters. So well, that's like, why I'm saying. The, the, so so think of the you brought up the you know the teenagers who leave or the you know the people the parents of those teenagers will say, look, I brought them to Sunday school, I brought them to church yeah. every Sunday, right? Uh, we did catechism. Um, so they'll point to all of those things, and it was a central thing, as you you know mentioned. It's the hub, but all the other places is where it just didn't didn't happen. And is that is that just a failure of the parent, or is it also the failure of the church who never talked beyond that? The the, <laughs> well, the I mean, church it's, who it's never gave really. the practical application to say, you know what do these things begin here? Well, the church wasn't really right. The church wasn't really the central thing. 
And the church wasn't really providing fuel and training and, and didn't really recognize that the battle takes place in the home and other places, mm-hmm. right? So I yeah. so I was I have this under consoling, but I don't know if it really I listened recently to a Art of Manliness podcast with Lyman Stone, the demographer. And mm-hmm. he had uh, did you happen to catch that one? No. It was late December, I think. Anyway, so he he talked uh, about, you know. I can't. I think it was something about counterintuitive ideas about uh, families and children or something. But you know, Isn't you're familiar Lutheran? with his work. I think he's Wells. So okay. I think that I think we would say a uh, hesitant. Yes, he's Lutheran. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, he's. <laughs> I think he's Lutheran. But the, sorry for my Wells buddies. Couldn't resist. Um, he he has a thing in there where he talks about the American the the American Christian myth for the last 40 years has been that if you force religion upon your children, they will reject it. They will rebel. So you can't force it upon them. And because of that, we've, that's why the church has been destroyed. Basically he goes through this, you know, in terms of these demographics and he's like, kids don't lose their faith when they're in high school. They lose their their faith when they're in grade school. And, and he just shows this. And it turns out that actually the best way to ensure that your children are Christians when they're adults is to force Christianity on them. Actually, forcing Christianity on them doesn't cause them to rebel. It makes them Christians. It, it's a total myth. And so the children that are raised, I mean, there's, there's statistical anomalies, right? There, there are people that become Christians as adults. There are people that were raised in the church that fall away as adults, but they're mm-hmm. extreme minorities. And so he goes through this and it's like, so it's this, listen, you, if you're a parent, you should be surrounding your children with the word of God. And that means you live it. And you live it by having rituals in your home, like prayers before and after meals, daily family devotions, and also talking, uh, talking openly about your religion, about your faith. Mm -hmm. And and then, of course, you know, living as, as you're able in the forgiveness of sins, you know, in ways that also correspond to your faith. If you come to church every Sunday, but you get drunk every Saturday night and every Friday night, and the kids see this and you cuss like a sailor and you watch Game of Thrones and you don't, I mean, this matters. And, but the people that actually take this and send them, don't plant them with thorns, right? Their peers matter. And if you ignore, you know, who their friends are and who, and what's in, you don't control their social media. I mean, you've, that that's his whole thing. And I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating thing. Now, the problem is, you know, if your children are already grown and you sent them to public school and you were afraid to push your religion on them because they would rebel, I mean, it might be too late. I mean, that's a sad kind of, I mean, you know, the gospel, right? They were baptized. They were confirmed. You should keep praying for them. You should keep witnessing to them. Maybe you should apologize to them. Uh, But, you know, I don't mean it's hopeless, but a, a, a lot of damage has been done, you know, generationally by this idea. Mm-hmm. If your children are young, I mean, or your grandchildren, do what you can, you know, now start this. It, it, the 
And of course, I mean, this is all sort of sciency, right? He's a demographer. He's just saying, hey, this is what the, this is what the way it works statistically. Well, mm-hmm. it just happens to correspond pretty darn well to the Bible also, right? That we should raise our children and they will return to it. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, that this ought to be the topic of our conversation and on and on and on. So I think that, uh, I mean, the kind of consoling side of that, right? So that that's all sounded pretty negative, I know. But the consoling side of that is actually, you can make your children be Christians. Not, not with 100% accuracy, you know, um, but you actually do have something to do. And there is a promise in it that the word of God doesn't return void. And we have yeah. some correspondent proof from Lyman Stone that actually that is the way that works. We, we know for sure now that the myth, right, we know it doesn't, not forcing your religion on them doesn't make them Christians. They mm-hmm. don't rebel yeah. against you're not forcing by deciding to become Christians. It's almost as if it was the devil's lie to get yeah. people not to do what prior to this they knew they had to do. Yeah. Well, I, there was a kind of societal, you know, people, there was a kind of default Christianity, not, not a very deep Christianity maybe, but there was a certain default religiosity of America that in some ways maybe, you know, a hundred years ago you could get away with a more passive approach because you know, the schools taught the Bible and there was prayer in schools and there was prayer, you know what I mean? There was other things in society that maybe helped if, if parents were negligent in their duties, but now, so. Yeah. So anyway, I'm agreeing with what you're saying that we, we, we do need to tell parents to do this. This does need to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And I was, when I was listening to this, I was thinking, you know, even about the you know, that Luther says, this is the way that the father of the house should teach the catechism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to involve the parents in, I, and I know this is pretty typical practice. It, it, I think it's, it's worked well for us. You know, I require a parent to be at the first communion and confirmation classes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do that uh, not only because the children behave way better, which they do, but also because I'm, I really understand myself to be teaching the parents how and what to be teaching. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not like it's some secret, it's pretty transparent, but I, I do think that, you know, it's, it does a couple. It, it, so it, first of all, the children behave better. That's nice. Uh, secondly, the, the parents are getting some instruction about instruction and about doctrine and so forth. And they learn a lot in those classes. Don't, don't be fooled uh, as uh, I mean, I'm not, I don't mean they're stupid, but I mean, this is, this is deep and important stuff. And there's always details and there's always stuff to learn. Uh, but then the, the other thing is it's also a demonstration to the children that this is right, that everybody's in on this and that the parents yeah. value it. Uh, and I think it's, mo- I think it's pointed because where else do the parents sit with their children while their children are taught? They don't do that in school. They don't do that in yeah. sports. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, you know, it's, it's, if you haven't been doing it, you know, it's going to be a hard hurdle because the parents, of course, they're lazy. They don't want to do it, but you just, you just have to push and try and keep going. Yeah. It's worth it. So if you were to say, obviously the place to be is in church uh, and in home and then in, you know, where God has put you in society, what are you going to point to to the home? Are you just going to point to the table of duties and outline those things? Uh, and then in society, um, 
Yeah, I, I think I, 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 I think it's very important to also say where they're not supposed to be. Um, okay. Uh, but but you know because I think we got to name these things. You can't you can't do this. You can't bring this into your home, uh, whether there's children present or not. And you know so I mean I think those things really need to be because people just don't know what's wrong because it's so accepted at a societal level, right? Mm. I mean I just uh, I just saw this statistic that forty percent of the Missouri Synod believes, according to Pew Research, forty percent of the Missouri Synod thinks abortion is just a fine way of birth control. And, and well, birth can, the idea of controlling birth, first of all, is seen as a almost a universal good, which is yeah. perverted. And then and then you know well abort, uh, murdering a baby with surgery, right? Forty percent of the Missouri Synod would say that if a surgeon goes in with a knife and stabs a baby to death in his mother's womb, right, to get rid of it, that's like birth control and that's a universal good and it's fine. Forty percent. Mm-hmm. If I have a pretty, I have a sneaking suspicion that if you took it away from a surgeon with a knife and moved it to a pill that kills the baby, with no, you know, big evidence, I don't. I hate it's to even think that the, uh, I got, it's got to be way high. Um, you know, this the 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 sixty percent of the Missouri sixty percent of the Missouri Senate recognizes surgical abortion as murder and wrong. I really only sixty percent. Like that's, well, if forty I mean, percent thinks it's fine, I, I did the math. I'm just like, gosh, when you say it that way, it's like, it sounds wow. horrible. Only sixty percent believes it, which you know is enough to get the votes, but uh, for how long? And I mean, these other these other forms, and then of course, I mean, you've got, you know, the the, the so called morning after pill we're talking about, you know, that what that aborts babies, but you know, many forms of so called, I mean, basically, you know, birth control pills. Uh, the doctors don't tell you how that works. Most of those are destroying babies in the womb. Mm-hmm. You ought to be very careful. I mean, I think blocking conception you through some sort of physical means is pretty vulgar. But right. uh, and I'm not, and I think we we need to really think about the ethical consequences of that. But it's not murder. You right. know, uh, withdrawal is not murder. Blocking conception is not murder. Maybe it's not mm-hmm. fully faithful all the time. But Correct. you know these. We, we need to, this is, and then of course, IVF, that's another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's there's very a, there's messy. This, this mentality among uh, pro-life Christians that is actually the same mentality that the pro-choice people have, which is that every child should be a wanted child. And so the, yeah. the, the, you know, the, the pro-contraception within Christianity has taken that kind of understanding and mimics it. And it's only a matter of time, right? With that same mentality, only a matter of time to go from stopping or blocking to killing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so anyway, the, why were we talking about that? It's a horrible thing to talk about. We were talking about uh, that. It's also important to say what, where you're not supposed to be. Right. So my point is, right, that these, yeah, thank you. The, uh, you know, I think we're living in a society that we're, we're our, pe- our people are living in a society where they just don't realize because these things are so accepted and are, and, and I mean, they've been deceived and they haven't thought deeply enough about these things. And so it's not like they're openly wicked or desire to be wicked or, I mean, they, they want to go by the Bible and they want to live their lives, but they just haven't thought about these things. Mm-hmm. And, I think, 
so I think, you know, we got to teach on that kind of stuff. We got to teach on abortion and we got to teach on other things, sexual deviancy. I mean, all of this kind of stuff. What, what's, what, you know, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, now I'm all upset. You got me all wound up and sad. Mm, sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. So doctrinally and refutation, uh, we already briefly brought up, you know, double predestination or Arminianism. Um, how do, is this a, an opportunity to talk a, to to really kind of do, dive into those things and then to put forward our instruction on predestination, uh, single predestination? I mean, yeah, I think it could be. I, you, you need to definitely focus on the word. I mean, this is this is a parable about the Holy Spirit working through His Word, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, I mean, and that that is an aspect, right? We understand that the elect are called by the word, not apart from the mm-hmm. word. And, you know, many are called, you know, and then few are chosen. Nobody's chosen again that wasn't called, and you're called by the word. Faith comes by hearing. So, so to understand that dependence upon the word uh, and the goodness of the word, yeah, and then to, to set forth perhaps the confusions, either that God doesn't you know, choose some, or that, you know, some people get in because they make a good choice. No, it's the word. So, Mm -hmm. which is of course also grace and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. There's this nice in this, in this parable where Jesus does explain this a little bit because he says, right, there are those right to you. It has been given to know the kingdom of God. So, so there I mean, here, here's the thing is that uh, if it's given, then there's a giver. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. the giver, of course, is, is the Father who gives the Spirit. It's the Spirit that enables us to actually discern or know the Word. Again, yeah. though, he doesn't do this apart from the Word. He works through the Word. He's in the Word. Right. Um, is the sower identified? I can't remember. No. So we've always typically thought of that as Jesus himself or God, but maybe that's any preacher of the word. Yeah. Or, or even any Christian. I mean, but, uh, right. it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody that's, that's speaking, I think, I mean, I think it's all of those things. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly Jesus is, is, is the sower. I mean, and, and, but he's working through these means again. And certainly the Holy Spirit is again, you know, also sowing. Mm-hmm. Or working, I mean, I, yeah, I, we can't really divide the persons of the Trinity in this parable, and I'm not sure mm-hmm. we can really divide um, God from His Church in this parable either. Mm-hmm. I have a, I have a one of my favorite things in my office. I was given a little statue of a sower. <laughs> really, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's beautiful. It was hand carved in Macau, and it's just, you know, it's just this Chinese guy throwing seed down. <laughs> it's Chinese. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. I, it's a, uh, it's such a, it's a beautiful little piece and there's no, there's not a lot of artistry in it in term, but it's uh, you know, it's just, it's just a depiction of the sky, but uh, you know, it, the whole, the whole sort of artistic communication in it is that he's a sower yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's this, right. It's, it's, I love it. It's just a, it's a delightful thing to look at. And because of mm-hmm. course I'm a sower. I mean, that's the point. Yeah. Did uh, do you want to talk about the the hymn of the day for this at all? Or I don't know what it is. Well, isn't it the Franzman hymn? 
Oh, Franz Menhem. Yeah. Well, it's, I don't really think it should be the hymn of the day, but we have it as the hymn of the day here. And it's my fault because I did it like 20 some years ago. Okay. I, so I like it. I like that textually. I like that hymn. I mean, the tune, it, it, the tune originally went with something else, which I can't think of off the top of my head. Oh, God, my fa- Anyway, the, uh, the problem with that hymn is the hymn of the day for me is that it's not a Lutheran chorale and it's modern. Yeah. So we mm-hmm. have this idea of the hymns of the day, and I've been guilty of this, but I'm trying to repent. The, uh, I think the modern idea is that the hymn of the day is a sermon hymn. And so mm-hmm. the hymn of the day should be like directly related to the sermon text and to and so presumably to the gospel. And I as I've learned a little bit and looked at these things over the years, it's it's more it's not it's not so obvious. I mean, I think it's a lot of times these hymns of the day aren't directly related to the actual text. They're just great hymns that need to be sung. And sometimes setting something alongside of another that isn't that isn't the same mm-hmm. is actually helpful to to understand both, right? Just like Bible mm-hmm. texts. So I think I think the sermon hymn idea has been. I mean, this is a great. It's 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 nice as a sermon hymn, the Franzman hymn, because it explains the text, and I like its explanation. But I'm not sure it's actually weighty enough that we should use it as a hymn of the day. Okay. So what are you going to preach on? What direction do you think you're going to take? Oh, I don't, I got, oh, I, well, I'm tempted, I want to kind of want to talk about idolatry because of this seeing, not seeing and hearing, not understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I also, I, f- I printed it out, but I, j- I forgot to bring it in here. There is this, uh, he who has ears, let him hear, right? That's mm-hmm. a call to not be like the idols or like those mm-hmm. who make them, but to actually use your ears what they're with what they were meant for, which is to hear the word of God. And that's, so that turns up, Luke uses it one other time, that phrase, and then both Matthew and Mark use it. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me just move over to my computer screen because I still have the electronic document up because I want to see where they, give me just a second. Here it is. Whoops. Okay. So it's Matthew 11, 15. That's the context. John John the Baptist is Elijah to come. Mark Mm -hmm. 7, the context, the things that come out of a man defile him. Mm-hmm. Anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then, of course, ours, parable of the sword. Then Luke 14, uh, this is the, uh, whoever does not forsake everything cannot be Jesus' disciple, but is salt that's lost its flavor. It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So mm-hmm. th- it's a really, it, it has a very law context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it is, what is this? What is 12 minus four? Eight. Eight times it comes up in the Revelation to St. John. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, so I won't read all of those, but I, I, I think that's an – and if you, if you go beyond that exact phrase and you make it a little bit wider, uh, I had a list of 58 passages that had some version of you know a call to pay attention or to heed, mm-hmm. and that's without using – if you, you could go one step further and make it even more, if you use the word behold, mm. which is a call to pay attention, right? So that yeah. is a real, the, the point of that is, is just to s- sort of recognize how prevalent this is in Holy Scripture, that we are being admonished to pay attention, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
And then to sort of think about what is it actually that we're being called to pay attention to? Like we see in the Gospels, it's like pay attention that you don't lose the faith, right? That you you know you not lose your 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 savor and so forth. So I, I've I've really been interested for a couple of years now in idolatry as the kind of primary, really the what, you know what Aquinas calls pride is idolatry. I think it's really this is the primary biblical concern and threat. And then mm-hmm. to to see to think about how I, 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 this is maybe a time to preach about how all false doctrines are idolatry. I think yeah. we have this kind of tendency to think that false doctrines, you know, mis- what, okay, you've got women pastors, we don't. That's because the Bible says we shouldn't have them. But you know, other than that, we're the same, and it's really kind of meaningless. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, Right, that sort of hey, you know, we've got more in common than not, and blah blah blah. And it's like, well, look, there's more to it than this, right? There is an idolatry that says I'm not going to hear what the Bible says about men and women, yeah, because I prefer my own version, right? I'm not, yeah. you know, or you know, the, yeah. And I mean, you could just do that or, with every one of you them, could, and should. You could say something. So you you've got that, like um, paying attention to the fact that often. The devil comes to us as an angel of light, not mm. you know with horns all red and you know a tail. Uh, so there are some obvious things that obviously we we need to avoid. But you know Methodists and uh, still Papists and other also you know this is idolatry. Or what about like in our modern day, which is kind of like you know the First Amendment is greater than the First Commandment. Yeah, right. Yeah. So on and on it goes. And then I, and, and I mean, ultimately this is to say, it, this isn't simply about condemning, you know, women pastors or a kind mm-hmm. of uh, mistaken uh, desire for personal freedom to sin, but, but, but to recognize that our weakness on this is itself an idolatry. I mean, mm-hmm. that we're not, we're not paying close attention to scripture. We're not treating as though it's really important and the things that it tells us to do and to not do are a matter of life and death. Yeah. And I was thinking about the, you know, Peter's sermon on Pentecost where he just exposes them as such a bunch of liars, right? So they say you're drunk. He's like, look, it's only nine o'clock. We're not drunk. But besides that, Joel says this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so you shouldn't be surprised. And then, and then he says, uh, the next thing is like, oh, and Jesus, who was who was uh, attested by God by miracles and which, which he did among you. And you know, this is true. You know, he was the Messiah. Uh, you handed him over, but it was God's will, but you handed him over as with lawless hands. Right. And, and then Jesus has raised him from the dead. And you knew that was going to happen because David talks about it in Psalm 16. Right. <laughs> and, and he just, it's like, you've got all this protect. You don't really think we're drunk. You didn't really think that Jesus wasn't, a true miracle worker or that he wasn't God or that he wasn't, uh, you know, the Messiah, uh, you didn't really expect him to stay dead. Every bit of the, every time you knew what the Bible said and you pretended you didn't and you hardened your hearts against it and you're just a bunch of liars. Mm. And I think that's a, it's really cutting and we're guilty of the same sort of thing, right? We, we want to pretend like we don't know the things that we know because it might require of us action. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. So that's the seeing and not, you know, it's pretty d- ridiculous to not see when we can see and to not understand when we can hear. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything that we didn't get to? Uh, did we, well, we, well, we, final th- here we go. I got a final thought for you. How's that? I had a couple, you, we missed some stuff, but uh, I told you we wouldn't and we did. The big thing I think yep, is, again, I think that the way that this parable plays in the context is to prepare and to warn the disciples that not everyone's going to become a Christian and, you know, judged mm-hmm. from the point of view of the world or a capitalism, right? There's going to be a lot of failures, evangelism isn't that effective or not as effective as we wish it was. And we should not be surprised or disappointed by this, mm-hmm. uh, but we should plug on in faith and believe that God is good. And, 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 and also really this ought to move us to a greater sense of awe and gratitude that we ourselves have been saved. Mm-hmm. And not to give up. So despite right. the appearances that there's going to be, a lot of difficulty and perhaps even loss of yardage. Uh, don't yeah. give up. Well, and like I mean, I you know this last uh, Missouri Senate election cycle uh, last summer. I mean, it was just the you know some of the candidates for president of Senate, not not Harrison who was elected, but some of his opponents. I mean, this like casting blame for the church shrinking. That's just a demonic accusation, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, not that we shouldn't uh, be paying attention to process and, and make sure that we're being faithful and so forth, but but to act as though the fact that, right, yeah, this is this is to be expected. The, the most prevalent sign of, of the end of time and of the second coming is apostasy. Mm-hmm. I mean, people falling away. I mean, look at the book of Revelation. Those seven churches aren't so hot. And uh, you know those are the churches we live in. So again, like we, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be surprised by this and be like, oh, there must be something wrong with the leader. There must be something wrong with the pastor because you know this is nothing like a Chick Fil A franchise. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's not. It shouldn't be. I mean, we we sort of wish it was, but it never has been, and we expect mm-hmm. it to get worse. And, you know, in terms of the number of Christians on earth, we would probably expect it to get fewer. But the church, but the church, tri- the church militant and triumphant together, together never gets smaller, right? right. It only increases uh, mm-hmm. because we don't ever actually lose any of them. We never lose any of the elect. And we're baptizing right. the elect on a daily basis and adding mm-hmm. to it. So take that. Yeah. And even those who have gone before us, we haven't yeah. lost. That's what I mean, right? There, so, yeah. so we haven't lost the ones that went before us. Abraham's not dead, right? Mm-hmm. Abraham lives, saw the day of Jesus and rejoiced. He's still alive. He's still watching. And so are our loved ones who have gone in the sign of faith. They've only been taken from us, separated for a time, but they haven't been lost. So, but, we're, but, but new babies are being created, right? They're not, the souls of babies aren't preexistent. God creates them at the moment mm-hmm. of conception, Right, and then we baptize them, and boom, we just made the church bigger. Yeah, <laughs> or God made the church, but you know what I mean. Yes, yeah, got it. But but that being said, the number of Christians on Earth could certainly be a, a smaller number than it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and probably will be, frankly, as the end gets nearer. Yeah, but it might, you know, but there can be uh, moments of reprieve, seasons of reprieve. Uh, geographic areas of reprieve. So mm-hmm. we can fail here. Yeah, that's the whole 
passing rain cloud of Luther. It can fail yeah. in North America and maybe prosper in Africa or South America or someplace else. Yeah. And, but at the same time, that passing rain cloud reference is not meant to dissuade us from action. No, no, it's, it's, it's not. In fact, right. Luther issues it as a rebuke, you right. know, he's, he's mad. I mean, it's, it's a prophecy. Actually, he says, you stupid Germans, <laughs> you stupid Germans think that you have the word of God by right, but you treat it with disdain and it's going to, God's going to remove it from you. The word of God's like a passing rain cloud. And, and right. His point is you should start to take it, should start to be reverent. You should start to be appreciative. You should start to you know, study and evangelize and pray. And then, you know, the, the rain cloud will stay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, Luther, that's not in the Bible, of course, either, which probably shouldn't mm-hmm. qualify. <laughs> didn't, <laughs> d- didn't turn out to be true, though. Luther was, Luther accurately predicted what would happen. Yeah. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> thanks for your time. We'll uh, pick up with Quinqua Jessima uh, next week. Excellent. Thank you.